Why, hello. Graham Norton here. Thank you very much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. What a weekend of great entertainment and fabulous guest. Here's what we've got in store for you. Natalie Imbruglia, yes, the Natalie Imbruglia, is back with some new music from her new album, Firebird. TV medic Dr. Ranch joins me to give us an insight into his book, Brain Power. Marion Keyes is on chatting about her latest book, Again, Rachel, and Sir newly served, David Suchet comes in to tell us about his new and first musical, Mima the Musical. Show chef Martha gets passionate with one quick and easy dish and one sweet dessert. So let's get stuck in. First, let's catch up with Maria and solve some more of your problems in Graham's Guide. Hello, Windy Chops. Hello, good morning. Thank you very much for that lovely nickname. Windy Chops is good. <laughs> you are interrupting the curling, by the way. Oh, Soz. This is the Slippy Olympics. The Slippy Tea Tray Olympics that we're so good at. Um, are we good at it? Well, we're in the semi-final. I mean, how many teams were there? <laughs> Three. <laughs> I don't know. It may have finished by now, actually. I'm not really watching it. No, I, I don't think I've watched any of the Winter Olympics. Not a, not a bit. Well, it, I don't think you've missed very much. Lots of people falling over and crashing out, as they say. Oh, of course, because it is very slippy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you fare in the Windy Olympics? Oh, the Windy Olympics. I, I got gold in that, Graham. Were I'm you, on the you, South I, Coast. I, somehow, I have a vision of you are one of those lunatics who's standing at the end of a pier trying to take selfies. Is that you? No, Graham, because that's <laughs> not really endangering me, but the whole school and the headmaster and the RNLI. So I would not do that. But there were a lot of people that did that, frankly. <laughs> you saw them when you were there. <laughs> um, there were people that walked down my Twitter, which is a very windy alley, for now, um, <laughs> uh, that had to go on their hands and knees. That's how strong it was. Goodness. I know, Graham. I know. I mean, I it does it, happen, I, but not normally during a storm. <laughs> I thought they were coming to pay homage to me, you see. <laughs> Is the dog nativity still up? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But my windows have a... It, it was a, the most bizarre storm because it was not raining. It was sort of sunny, but it felt like rain because there was so much wind picking up the seawater. So my windows are sort of sheen of white this morning. I'll have to get out there, Graham, and give them a good going over. I wouldn't do it just yet. I think. That... No, I know there's another one coming, I think, isn't there, at 12? And also no power. No power. Oh, no. Oh, that is dull. Yeah, and you realise, you know, I suddenly thought, oh, okay, well, got candles. And then you realise that everything, we are so reliant on, on, you know, electricity, sort of everything, making a cup of tea. I fired up the wood burner. Well done. Put a kettle, you know, put some water on the top of it, and that should be boiled by tomorrow, I hope. Um, <laughs> it is that funny thing with the electricity. You think, oh no, there's no electricity. Oh well, I'll microwave some. Oh no, I won't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I had the kettle on, I had the saucepan on top of the wood burner, and then I thought, you idiot, you've got gas hob. <laughs> <laughs> No need at all. But, you know, not having any power, you think, okay, I'll read a book. Read a book. That 10 minutes bored now. And so you thought, you know, it's like being in Elizabethan times. You know, I I wrote a four-part madrigal and (laughs) I I whittled some sticks and And then I played my lute for a bit. And illustrated a a manuscript. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Did some needlepoint. It's really bizarre. I mean, I, I... all those people that still have their power off, I'm sorry, I feel your pain. But um, as I'm speaking to you now, you know that my power is on. Yes. Um, it, my, my, I, my garden ravaged, ravaged. 
Oh, no, Graham, could you not bring your garden furniture in? No, because, uh, one, uh, there's nowhere to put it, and two, I uh, couldn't be bothered. But also, because <laughs> I thought... I That could have taken someone's eye out, Graham. Well, no, what happened was, I thought it was, either it was peaking, I read somewhere it was peaking at 10 o'clock here yesterday. So at about half 10, I noticed that a bit of the cover over the, you know, all the cushions and the furniture, I, you know, I, win- I had winterised it. Uh, a bit of the cover had come loose and was flapping around like the O2. And I thought, oh, I'll I'll tuck that back in. So I tucked it all in, tied it down, you know, thought I've done a good job of that. Now that's safe. And about ooh, four o'clock, I just checked on it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, gorn, <laughs> the whole thing, gorn. The furniture, where did no, you find the, it in a garden or? No, the furniture's still there. Uh, cushions, bye-bye. Uh, so they'll get to live in someone else's house now. And yeah. It's uh, about time you replaced them. Yeah, it really, it's really. It's God's way of telling you that that design is no longer good. Yeah. It was Eunice, it was Eunice, God of garden furniture, going, <laughs> enough now. I do love Eunice. Eunice is such a great name because you kind of think, it just sounded like a gassy ant, didn't it? When, you, when they <laughs> Great were doing, Aunt Eunice. Oh, oh no. Look out, look out. Uh, all right, look, batten down the hatches and find your letters and we'll uh, try and solve some dilemmas. Virgin Radio. I've got a letter here. I'm going to read it. Okay. Dear Graham and Maria, I've known my friend since childhood and have also become really good friends with his girlfriend. I recently received a message from his girlfriend to tell me that he had cheated on her. I'm very disappointed in him and also a bit stuck in the middle. How do I support them both in this situation whilst also being respectful to both of them? I'm not even sure if he knows that I am aware of this. And that is from Emily in Southampton. Oh, Emily in Southampton, that is bad. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, Emily, wash your hands and walk away. Step away from the relationship trauma that is not yours. If you get involved in this, you will always get burned. That is kind of one of those laws. Um, Because what she's done, basically, Emily, is she has taken this rucksack of anxiety and just plonked it on your doorstep. It's not your problem. I mean, whatever you say to your friend since childhood, naughty friend since childhood, afterwards is up to you. But you do not want to get involved with this. She is, it's a bit mean of her to involve you, frankly. I mean, I know why and so on, because she's your friend too now. But this is their gig. This is really nothing to do with you. And I'm not sure there's any way that you can get involved and why would you? Yeah. It's only going to come back and, and what do you think, Graham? Well, is that thing, you feel like, Jackson Bell, like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> because, you know, what? You, she's obviously trying to weaponize Emily against her boyfriend, against Emily's yeah. old friend. Yeah. And, you know, that's not going to happen because you've known this guy forever. He's done a really stupid thing. Um, either, you know, you always kind of think, well, this isn't a good sign. I'm guessing this relationship is it. It's now either over or it is sort of you know Damaged. dead dead man walking. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. Uh, so Emily, you know, I think you're allowed to say to your friend, "You get what were you thinking?" Blah blah blah, and he'll you know you either say. I am a fool and I shouldn't have done this. Or he'll got to go, well, it'll kind of run its course and that's how this happened, blah, 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 whatever. But I think for her to try and kind of drag you in to kind of, you know, she wants you to be team girlfriend. I'm not, 
I mean, maybe, yeah, you're not going to be because, you know. I think the problem is with that, though, Graham. If she does speak to childhood friend and says, girlfriend has told me this and he says, yeah, I'm an idiot and I really want her back. I think I'm going to lose her. I really want her back. Can you help me with this? Then you don't want that either. You don't want to be in the middle person because then you've got to go to her like, you know, some mediator. Yeah, but then you just, Um, but you say no. I mean, I think if you've known this guy forever and he is probably a good friend, uh, I think you are allowed to message him and kind of go, oh, I've heard you've been an absolute moron. Um, Then if he tries to get you to be some sort of go between, you just go, no, you made this mess. You're on your own, mate. You made this mess. You can clean it up. Yeah, if you're clever enough to have an affair, you're cle- you're clever enough to sort it out. So good luck, everyone. Not clever enough not to get found out, though. You see, that is the main problem here, isn't it? But I always feel like that. There's something. Think- there's there was always something in that, isn't there? Where it's it's like people don't have the courage or the energy or the interest to actually extricate themselves from a relationship. So they do these things in a kind of slightly lazy way. And it's almost like subconsciously they want to get caught. So yeah, the other person leaves them or the other person dumps them. And it, that's bad. You really have to own things and not be a coward about this. And certainly not text someone saying, yeah, don't think this is going anywhere. Bye. <laughs> no, don't do that. Mind you, that's better than having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's easier, perhaps. Yes, it's one up. Not from, as interesting. It's one up from having an affair. Uh, Emily <laughs> in Southampton. Uh, yes, I think we essentially we're saying, you know, you can talk to your friend, but... You know, stay on the outskirts of this. Do not go downtown on this because, it, yeah, there's riots and it's going to be, it's really upsetting. I, I would stay home. There's a and storm maybe warning. maybe when it's all over, Emily, just have a strong word in his lug hole about being a good person. Yeah. And also, you know, don't make me be friends with your girlfriend if you're going to dump her. Yeah. Because now now I've got to be friends with this woman. (laughs) I only know her because of you. My favourite responses today will be getting a waitress and partners, number one, salted caramel and Belgian chocolate tart. You know, sometimes you just, there's a picture of it as well, and just think, I could take that home, eat the whole thing, and then just lie in bed till the sickness went away. You know, but you just, oh, the... The actual eating of it would be so delicious. It's currently, by the way, 25% off at Waitress onto the 1st of March, if you fancy shoveling that down your gob. Anyway, Tony in the world. We all know the saying, shoot the messenger, let them sort it out. Relationships come and go. Friends are more important. Uh, Cleo in Rochford says, Emily, this is nothing to do with you, so do nothing. If either of them confides in you, uh, make sympathetic noises, but don't suggest any remedies you think are helpful. You can always be the friend who listens, but nothing more in these circumstances. Uh, Daniela West Sussex, there's a good old saying, don't trouble trouble until it troubles you. That is very good, Daniela West Sussex. It's their bag, not yours. Uh, Let it wash over. You will feel better for this. Then just forget them. Oh, right. And move on to people who are worthy of your friendship. What happened here? He didn't cheat on you. (laughs) You can still be friends with them. You know, they're having a messy time, but you can still like them. You know, people you know still do terrible things. Uh, George and Rutland. Emily, stay outside of the triangle. Ooh, hello. Here we go. This is the triangle. Rescuer, victim, persecutor. You are being invited to be the rescuer. Step away from the drama. Well, Georgie's read a book. I think that's that's deep. That's chapter 10. 
right there. Rescue or victim persecutor. Right. Uh, the girlfriend might just be sounding you out to see if you knew and how humiliating this for her is for her. Reassure her you knew nothing and then keep out of it. Catherine Norfolk. I mean, yes. I, I mean, basically, the girlfriend is trying to involve you and, and drag you in, but you must uh, not. Uh, I'm going to give the delicious salted caramel and Belgian chocolate tart courtesy of Waitrose to uh, Danielle and West Side for Don't Trouble Trouble Until It Troubles You. Graham's Guide. Hey, uh, another letter, yeah. lady. Yeah, yeah. Dear Graham, this is a good one. Dear Graham and Maria, I have been with my new partner for just over two years. We were both previously married and have five children between us. He spends most of his time at my house with me and my three girls. We all get along really well. We've met up with both his children and mine a few times, but I find it really difficult. His children bicker a lot and often turn on the waterworks to get their way. The way he parents them really frustrates me, and my own daughters have started to mention that they feel uncomfortable seeing his children due to their mood swings. My partner has shown interest in all of us going away together this summer, I'm really not keen on the idea at all. I can only afford one week away, so this will be our only holiday. I know we should go away together, especially if the relationship continues, because his children are part of the package. But I would really like a relaxing holiday without any stress! Exclamation mark. Am I being selfish? Do I tell him how frustrating I feel at his children's behaviour? And that is from Anna in Leicester. Anna in Leicester, I'm sure there are lots of people on kind of second time round relationships that feel very similar to you. I would say on this particular one, um, I don't think you should go away. I mean, the, the tyrants we'll take care of in a minute but I think you can actually say that your girls your three girls would like to go away with you just you um and and you feel you owe it to them to do that but what about a weekend away at you know one of the talk park or something like that or lego I don't know how old these tyrants are legoland or something like that so then <laughs> you can have your you can have your week away uh with the girls and no stress and and then you can give the girls the option whether or not they want to come with you. It sounds like your girls are a bit older than his tyrants, but you can give them the option of coming away for a weekend. It might well be better. I mean, children act out, and this is a difficult situation. You know, they, their dad is now with someone else, and there's some other children there. And depending on their ages, I mean, if they're 16 and 17, then it would be wrong. But um, if they're young, then this is them acting out, turning on the waterworks, waterworks bickering, etc. It may, they might grow out of it. They need reassurance, etc. at this stage because they don't want their dad to be lost to them, if you see what I mean. I have friends who've done exactly the same thing with five children, two and three, and they have gone on separate holidays because it was too stressful and it was damaging the relationship. If you want this relationship to work, you've got to try and separate these things. What do you think, Graham? Well, except I would say, you know, I think in, in relationships, particularly, you know, as you get older, one, well, I guess one of the good things as you get older is the baggage that people have is more obvious. And, yeah, in, this yeah. ca- and in this case, it's very obvious. It's two small people. Uh, and that's his baggage. And you you don't get him without them. And so it's like Anna would like these children to disappear. 
that's not going to happen. So she needs to find a way either of just going, you know what, I can't, or find a way in her heart to sort of understand what these kids are going through. Because, you know, it's your three girls, they live with you full time. You've now invited this man in and you all get on. It's great. Other two kids, when they're with you, you know, they're all over the shop. They don't know what's going on. So, yes, of, of course they're going to act out and kind of try and get their daddy to prove his love for them and they're going to mm. test him and push him and all those things. So I think you have to... I mean, yes, any whining, annoy, you know, crying child is going to be annoying. But at the same time, they are in a very difficult situation. So I think you've got yeah. to be a bit patient about it all but also also talk to him this is a man you've been with for two years it sounds like he more or less lives with you so you know say it to him that look i've got you know we really struggle with these kids what can we do as a team if we're going to be together what can we do as a team to make this work because if that doesn't work nothing's going to work if those kids can't be part of this family then it's over it's we're done here it does sound quite odd, Graham, that they've been together for two years, but they've only sort of hung out with the children a few times. So that's been tough for them because obviously they've been, I'm going to say, kept away from your house. We don't know the situation, yeah. but it's been you and your three girls and him and you've all got on. And these two little things have come into this and they don't know their position. So instead of saying to him, you find his, the children frustrating, their, their behavior, say that you need perhaps to implement boundaries. And also so see that, them know, see them more often because, you know, only seeing them every now and again makes this worse. Because yeah, it, because It's hard it, though because you never love other people's children as much as you love your own, said the child-free person. But I think from what I've heard friends say, that is very much the case. You know, it's your children are, can do no wrong often and other people's children are horrible. Uh, but... This, in this particular case, I do think that there's an effort that is needed, both from your partner and you, to integrate these kids. Because if they are bickering and they're turning on the waterworks, they're not happy. You need to maybe implement some sort of boundaries and good behavior gets this and bad behavior gets this. That you probably did with your own girls. But make sure your partner is on board with this. Otherwise, he's going to start resenting you. But you don't want to start resenting him. So you have to raise this issue. Yeah. And also, it's that weird thing. You can't send them home with new rules. and Because then, you know, you're starting a whole thing there. And it's like but I say, you can if daddy has implemented it. You can if yes, daddy has said yes, something. Yes, exactly. If daddy said that. But I, I just think, you know, this is... You know, finding love second time around, this is going to happen. So, Anna, you can't stick your head in the sand about this. If you want, if you really want this relationship to work, uh, you've got to address this. And and maybe, you know, a holiday is not the time to do that. So I agree with Maria. Maybe, you know, put the holiday on hold, but say, look, let's work towards that. Let's work towards kind of putting all these people together. But for, for, for my girls, I think they just want a holiday and they don't want to deal with the, you know, the stress that often yes. happens when your kids and are And also around. remember, Anna, in Leicester, that children grow up. They get better as they grow up if they've got those good boundaries in place and you've got your partner on board. And then they will be gone at some point. But if you want to make this work with your partner, you've got to get over this blip, this little hump in the road. Uh, They'll start to behave better if you see them more, I think, as well. Yeah. And, you know, you're dating someone who has children. 
oh look, there they are. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that that's that's going to happen. They are going to come a calling, and you'd hate him. You know how you couldn't love him if he never wanted to see his children. So that wouldn't be a good sign either. So I, you've just got to roll with the punches here a bit, Anna, because it's you know it's a complication. It is some what is it sand in the something or I don't know. I don't Head know. in the sand. I do think there's one other possibility, Anna, and I don't know what, how this is going to pan out. You could could get in touch with the children's mum and say would you mind if i know but we it could be good relations there it could be bad relationship there but i find two women talking together about you know children and how to they're raised is kind of you know reach out to her is a possibility good luck with that <laughs> yeah i can hear people shouting at the radio no you stupid idiot what are you thinking <laughs> and uh, then you'll start a lesbian affair and leave him well done very good big response to letter two. Uh, Stuart, oh, by the way, my favourite responses will be getting the Waitress and Partners number one salted caramel and Belgian chocolate tart. Get it down, yeah. Uh, currently 25% off at Waitrose until the 1st of March. Oh, look at it. Anyway, uh, Stuart in Oxfordshire. In any relationship, you must be able to tell it like it is. So just tell the truth, Anna. And you do feel like after two years, and, you know, you're grown-ups, you've got kids, they're not going anywhere, got to talk about them. Alex is in Wells. I think in this relationship, the children have to come first. If they aren't happy and don't get on, then you and your partner will have to accept and accommodate that. Mm, children can't dictate what their parents do, I would say. You know, you've got to, you know, you've got to do some parenting, I would say. But anyway, uh, you need to give both families time and space and see how it pans out. Play the long game and don't force things. Well, that is true. Uh, Claire from Marlowe, don't be silly. Still traumatised 15 years later from taking five teenagers on holiday in a bid to blend the family. Oh, no, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Still traumatised. Uh, OK, thanks for that, Claire. Uh, you need to explain to the children that in your house, these are the rules and we expect you to behave in a certain way while you're here. What you are allowed to do in, all, in other houses is up to the adults in charge there. But here we have these rules and ex expectations. Reiterate it calmly every time they break the rules, perhaps with an occasional treat for those who manage to behave properly. Children soon learn. Madeline in Hampshire. Well, Good luck with that, Madeline. Uh, because they're just going to turn to their dad, and they're also they're going to like bring all these bad tidings uh, home to mom. Uh, Molly's in Hampshire. Anna, end it now. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Children in blended relationships grow up into even more difficult teenagers and adults. All right. This is grim, re grim reading. People sitting around having having a lovely time with their kids now, going, "What? Say, what did she say?" Uh, yeah, uh, grow into even more difficult teenagers and adults. As for any criticism of his children, forget it. Alternatively, put the whole thing on ice till they have their own lives in about mm, 20 years. Well, cheery words there from Molly and Hampstead. Um, I think I'm going to give the... Who will I give the uh, the uh, the caramel and Belgian chocolate tart to? Um then I'll give it to Claire in Marlowe because she's still traumatised from a holiday 15 years ago. So she deserves a nice treat. Yeah, you have that. The salted caramel and Belgian chocolate chart whizzing its way to you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Good morning, Natalie Imbruglia. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, that is such a... I mean, that was... It sounds great. So, oh, so good. So nice to do it acoustically like that. Yeah. And I still love singing it. 
Which is great because you have I'm to. I'm going to be for a while still. <laughs> Let's face it. But no, because I, I was saying, because you, you were on the chat show last night and I was saying it, that is still one of the top selling UK singles of all time. It's incredible. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful song and Phil Thornalley, I think, did an amazing job on the production of it. And it's just, some songs just stand the test of time and I'm blessed to have got the chance to sing that one. So I'm yeah. just grateful. And, uh, and also, I mean, it, like it's best selling single, but that, the clip of you singing that has got nearly two million hits on the Virgin. That's YouTube. crazy. Well, like we don't get two million hits, so that's really? yeah, that's incredible. That's Thank a, you, everybody. You're for the way support. up there. You're way up there, lady. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's old music. Old music, schmold music. Uh, new music from Natalie and Brulia. First yeah. in, it's. I mean, we're saying ten years. Yeah, I'm not sure of the timeline, but it's about ten years. About yeah, yeah, 10 yeah, years. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this album, Firebird, the yeah. new album, which is still out. Uh, Nashville, you were saying it went. To, so when you got, like, when you go to Nashville, like, do you just do you just see who's around, or do you arrange? Do you like do you, you make your appointments people to talk to those people? So basically, there's a wonderful woman called Alicia Pruitt. So my management spoke to her, and she lined up a bunch of writers for me. And my managers were like, "Look, she's got writer's block. She's a bit nervous." It was the whole thing, and so everybody was lovely. So any bad songs that I feel like happened was not their fault. It's more to do with, I was so nervous at the beginning. I just was like, oh yeah, we'll just say that. And just kind of going along with whatever and not, it took a while, but I think if you're, that's the whole thing. It's a discipline. So if you're doing it every day and you're doing two, it's, it's, it's like speed dating. But what's so you, weird is when you listen to the album, it doesn't sound tentative in any way. It sounds like you went into it with things to say. That's very true. I think after I had my son, a lot of things fell into place. And in retrospect, I think a lot of my writer's block might have been tied to the fact that I didn't feel like that was all in place and I was, you know, trying to fix myself after my divorce. And then suddenly you just get to an age and then, you know, having Max. And suddenly I was just like, I'm fine. There's nothing to fix, which is what Nothing Missing's about. Yeah, but also I think... What's, what I like about the songs is they're about kind of, you know, the things that songs are about. Heartbreak and falling in love and missing people. Da, da, da. But they have that wisdom of age. It's yeah. stuff you've learnt. Mm. And I think it shows in my voice as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, songwriting's more fun now. And I think uh, there's been a lot of life lived in between. So whilst I had that writer's block, a lot of I've been through a lot. And I did have a lot to say. And I think, you know, I was kind of angry about a lot of things. I mean, this industry can be relentless. And I think I've been a victim of the rejection of the industry and ups and downs. And But, you know, it's also good for you. I think, you know, it's the people that kind of just well, it's keep life. going up and up and up and up and up. Yeah, it's life, isn't it? It's life. Life, it, life is relentless. Yeah, <laughs> and you just get more comfortable with where you're at. So I'm really proud of this album. I did some incredible collaborations on it. Uh, Romeo Stoddard from The Magic Numbers, Katie Tunstall, Luke Fitton, we wrote a lot of songs on this. So many amazing writers and it's just, it's kind of like a phoenix out of the ashes album for me. It's just like things I've overcome and... Yeah, and that thing of, you know, being, you know, you get this beauty parade of people to come in and work with you. Like, are there good dates and bad dates? Is it like kind of songwriting Tinder? Is it like, you know, some... This is just... It's this exactly is, like This that. is awkward. And, you know, you have some friends that say they just... I've had friends say they go on these dates and if they don't like the person, they just go, I'm just going to the bathroom and they leave. <laughs> you can't really do that in a songwriting session. So I've always said, you know, if the... 
It's an energy thing. If it's the dynamics not there, it's a really quite a long day. Yeah. But are, you, are you now at a point where you say, uh, shall we uh, shall we just stop this? Or... I, I say, let's just start something new. I'm feeling a bit stuck. Let's just start a new idea. And I think you learn that it's okay to do that. I think yeah. at the beginning, you're just kind of trying to keep everyone happy and going along with ideas that are just not anything you would sing about. Yeah. Or and, say. And you're one of the people you, because, you, you, you know, I know you had trouble writing, so you're that. But you, 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 it seems like you don't miss performing. You decide, right, I'm not going to do that for a while. and da, da, da. But now you are back. You're, you're doing a, a 25-year anniversary tour. I don't think it's that. I think I'm not ambitious in that way that I need to keep on, on, on. And some people are different. Like, I'm a little bit of an isolate. So I just go through periods where, you know, it can be hard getting out of bed some mornings. So I think there's just... I just let things happen naturally and organically. But I've made a promise to myself... <laughs> Because it's, you know, you just build up this momentum and then there's three years and it's like starting again. So it's like my 100th comeback, you know. <laughs> so I think this time I've decided that's it. I'm going to stay on it. I'm in this, I'm in flow and I just want to keep going. And I love performing. That's my favourite bit. I love going on tour. Well, it was lovely to see you perform on the show last night because you could really see, you know, I'd forgotten the way you perform. You've great energy on stage. Arms and legs, right? Just flailing around everywhere. (laughs) I sing with my legs. I can't sing sitting down. I don't know how people do it. I can't sing sitting down. Yes, I can't see a stool in your set. No, (laughs) no. And the tour dates you mentioned, you can find them on natalieandbrulia, all one word, dot com. Uh, That's later in the year, right? That's October. October. Celebrating 25 years of my first album, Left of the Middle. So will you just play that first album or will you A mix it? of that album, yeah. a little bit of everything and obviously a lot from Firebird as well. Yeah, so. go on. Yeah. yeah, you've written them now. <laughs> you, you know them now. You might as well play them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Got to talk about Mars Singer. Um, uh, did you... I mean, how... So presumably they just... They go through the, the, you know, the phone book of famous singers and they just bring everyone. Uh, did you hesitate or did you kind of think, yeah, why not? I think I'd been asked before and I'd said no. And then I was talking to Nikki, my TV plugger, and she's like, oh, you know, I know you don't want to do this, but I just wanted to talk to you about it again. And I was like, do you know, I think maybe I might consider doing that. And it's, I think it's becoming a mum. It just appealed to me a lot more. And I just, I think I've got more of a sense of humour and I thought it'd be fun for him to see me be a giant panda. <laughs> Why and of course, not? For you, lovely, because you won. But it must have been weird for, you know, like people like Will Young and who was, there was someone else really good. Was it Heather Small or somebody like that? I can't remember who it was. Well, that's the fear, isn't it? You just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's a singing show, but I don't think it's necessarily the best singer wins. I mean, we had we had Charlotte Church. I mean, that girl can sing. Yes, because you must be thinking, uh, OK, that mushroom <clears throat> has gone full opera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. she's the only person that I had an inkling it was her. Was that the but only they, one you guessed? Yeah, they go to great lengths. And I know Pat Cash, I know Jamie Winston. These are friends of mine, and I had no idea. I mean, he was the bagpipe. He was standing right next to me. It's just crazy. But what you don't realise is the physical challenge of not being able to see, possibly falling off the stage or off the set. It's... The whole thing became about not sounding out of breath, yeah. you know, so... And also, it's physically demanding, because apparently they're very long records because of the, the, yeah. the setups, you know, because the production values are gorgeous. Everything looks beautiful. It's stunning. But that takes time. It takes time. <laughs> so you're just standing around in a panda suit the whole I time. I ate everything in that dressing room. I just kept restocking <laughs> the snacks, because you know what? You sweat so much in that outfit, suddenly... 
I could eat ten Twix bars and I'd be fine. So okay, the thing I want to know because I always because the, the the bit where they're you know going take it off, take it off, and and you kind of think okay. That person has to be a sweaty, hideous mess in there. So how long is is the repair job before you turn around? They do break. They do a little break. You get a little zhuzh. And then you have to gently resting. Thing is, you put the thing back on. So if your hair's in your face, you've got pores. So you can't actually... So I was like, you know, trying to get my hair out of my face. It's crazy. No, it's like it, I, I, when people turn around, it's like the way people wake up in films. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I'm fully made up. My hair is fine. Really? Because I've been in Halloween costumes. I so. was so grateful they did that, though, because you don't want to see what I look, what I really look like. No, that would be really humiliating. <laughs> Particularly if you're out week one. <laughs> Looking hideous. You sweat. It's full body sweat. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about this on the on the TV show, but then it got cut out. Uh, and a lot of people want to uh, hear about this. Neighbours. Uh, <laughs> poor old neighbours. Uh, so you've got kind of involved in the campaign to save neighbours. Well, look, I, I posted about the petition. I was asked about it. And the truth is, I do think it's really sad because it's... It's, the, it's where I started. It's the thing that got me to the UK. And it's just part of the fabric of being over here. I mean, I don't know about in Australia anymore. I don't know about the rest of the world. But I know for here, it just doesn't seem right that neighbours would stop. Yes, except it is kind of like, uh, I don't know what it Because you feel like it's going on in an alternate... Don't you want to see my boyfriend Brad get bitten by a shark and <laughs> shot and stabbed in the one week? I mean, come on. Your son is still <laughs> in it, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's really good looking, too. Well, of course, look at the gene. Look at the gene pool. <laughs> We've become social media buddies, which is quite funny. We've never met, I mean, in life. But, um, but yeah, I thought, you know, we've got to keep my son going. We've got to keep him on air, so. No, and it's interesting because, the, you know, when people knew you were coming on the TV show and coming on here, I got lots of tweets about it. and Because the people who care really care. Like, they, they are passionate yeah. about it. It's like yeah. a, it's going to be a... When is it supposed to end? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, if they get enough... They've got a lot of names in that petition. I'm not sure where the numbers are at at the moment, but... And would... If I think they... it's worth fighting for. I think it's a fun game. Let's just see if we can pull it off. And if it is ending and they wanted to do some amazing star-studded, you know, everyone comes 100%, back... 100% I would do it. Excellent. That's all we want I would to know. do it. Okay. But only if Brad's there. Okay. Brad has to be there, my boyfriend. Brad My husband, there. sorry. Yeah. What does Brad look like now? I don't know, actually. That's a good question. I wonder if his hair's still long. I'm guessing not. (laughs) I wonder if it's still on his head. (laughs) Google him. Let's let's Google him. (laughs) Lovely to see you again. Natalie and Bruley, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. All right, it's time to be my second guest of the day. You know whom you love him, Dr. Range. And he's got a new book out called Brain Power, a toolkit to understand and train your unique 
brain. So I guess the the big thing to ask is what age? Because this is for younger readers. Yeah, yeah. So it's aimed at kind of age seven and above. Um, And think of it as the ultimate brain training and mental health guide for kids. Obviously, kids and young people have been through a hell of a lot the last couple of years. Their learning and their mental well-being has been impacted. And I wanted to write something that kind of helped them get back on track. So we talk about how wonderful your brains are and how amazing the way they work. We talk about different types of brains, how people's brains work differently. We talk about neurodiversity with fantastic insights from autistic people, people with cerebral palsy, that sort of thing. Um, And then we talk about how to look after your mental well-being. And there's loads of little fun exercises and tips and tricks and advice and the big thing I wanted kids to take away from this is no matter who you are or what you're born with you are already incredible you can be even better and you can celebrate who you are and that's what I wanted it to be and is that it's interesting that so age seven is that about the age when kids become aware of they their moods to, and yeah. their oh hang on I, I can remember this I can't remember that da, da, da. it's kind of in that pre-adolescence phase isn't it when you're just coming into your own you're becoming aware of yourself as a person um, and you haven't quite hit the teens just yet when you become really fiercely independent because that's evolutionarily what we do so it's kind of in that phase where you're just coming of age and I think that's the time when you need to be putting in these little you know uh, mechanisms and bits of advice and tips that just to look after yourself and is it a book you'd read yourself or would you read it with a parent oh you can do honestly you can either either or and i recommend any parent or carer to have a flick through there are so many things that even i learned when i was writing this book (laughs) and i'm supposed to be the expert but i did loads of research for it and i tried to make it as fun and engaging as i could so you can read it with your little one or by all means they can go and read it by themselves no because i was interested because you know as an older person (laughs) uh, you know you read these things about trying to you know keep your brain healthy yeah yeah yeah. but kids can do that too yeah it's pretty some good tips in there for the rest of us as well yeah no no i was reading it thinking (laughs) really people at seven are doing this (laughs) i'm nearly 60 i I really should start with my puzzles and my trying to remember three things people are wearing on the way to work there you go three things it's brilliant walking watching people walk past and remember three things five minutes five minutes later yeah yeah yeah. and uh and also i think you know you talked about the neurodiversity yeah and even beyond that or i guess below that yeah Just that idea of that everyone learns differently. Totally, totally. We talk about different kinds of learning. There's four different kinds of learning. We talk about different kinds of intelligence. Intelligence isn't just about book work and about facts and figures. And I guess school, school, it's 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 inevitable. Well, it's inevitable that school will be that. I know. And it's a shame in many ways, but I feel like we are starting to recognise there are other forms of intelligence, more creative forms of intelligence as well. Um, We've got great examples of people in the book who've done amazing things. No one probably realises that the the guy that created Pokemon, he's autistic. And the reason Pokemon exists is because it came through his love of insects. And he's created one of the most successful video games in the world. Um, There are other examples of fantastic people who have done amazing things and they're not typically neurotypical or they're not your typically intelligent person as you would think they're not book intelligent necessarily they're life intelligent yeah and is that weird isn't it how in life we've become we've, we've been programmed 
to value certain sorts yes. of intelligence and not other sorts. Yes, absolutely. And I, 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 <laughs> I, I think of myself as a confused creative. I've got this academic side of my brain, which is the classical kind of cleverness that people think of, although I don't always think of myself as clever. I do some pretty silly things in my you time. You passed exams. <laughs> I, pa- I, I learned in this how room, to pass, you're clever. I learned how to pass exams. But there's a, this creative side of me as well that loves art and loves music. And... I'm always torn between the two. <laughs> so I kind of, I wanted to give everybody a chance, as it were, to be amazing and not just say you don't have to be a particular way to be clever. And being clever may not be what you think it is. Yeah. And also that thing of figuring out what your cleverness is. Yes, yes. yes I'm... And also using it to figure out who you are. Yeah. So identity and uh, your brain and your mind and your well-being are all tied together. And it's about saying that it doesn't matter who you are. You can be just as amazing as anyone else, even if you've got um, a disability or, or even if you're neurodiverse, you might have certain challenges. We all have challenges, but find your strengths and celebrate those. And I wanted to put that in there to give empower anybody really yes because even if it isn't that person reading the book at least that person reading the book will have an insight into those people now exactly absolutely you were saying that there's experiments in here to fool your nervous system (laughs) Uh, can you give us a couple so to try to illustrate the way your brain and your nervous system works and how they interact with each other i've put some like fun activities in there um one of one of them is the phantom hand experiment which is so cool. So if you just happen to have a plastic hand lying around. Okay. <laughs> you're like, okay, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. I probably do somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't steal one from anywhere. Um, so you put the, you sit at a table opposite someone. You put both your hands, one hand on the table, one hand underneath. And where the other hand would be that's under the table, you use the plastic hand on top of the table there. You get the person opposite you to do something to the plastic hand and to your hand under the table at the same time. And after while your brain thinks because it's merging the visual and tactile information it thinks the plastic hand is yours and it's so weird it's so strange and then i challenge people to do it with random objects well can you do it with an apple <laughs> what your, is it your so your, your brain starts to assimilate because it because your brain makes sense of the world by using all of your senses together and, and merging them yeah so if 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 you're doing something to your hand under the table and you can't see and you're doing exactly the same thing to an object on top of the table that you can see, your brain then thinks, oh, it must be coming from the object on the table. That must be me. Wow. It's so weird. Stupid brain. <laughs> I say that all the time. <laughs> um, and you talk about, you know, uh, learning things and how, uh, you know... Uh, you can exercise your brain and yeah. stuff. When you did Strictly... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> did your brain... I mean, did you realise, oh, I don't have that sort of brain or I do have that sort of brain? Oh, absolutely frazzled. I realised uh, I don't... I'm not a kinesthetic learner, which is a, p- a person who learns through movement. So it took me a long time to get that muscle memory, Jeanette used to call it. And it's true. The more you do it, the quicker I got it. My first routine took me two weeks to learn. My last routine took me 30 minutes. <laughs> like, wow. And, and that's what happens with training because your brain gets better at it. It reinforces those connections. Um, but I got really bad anxiety during Strictly and I had to really learn how to manage that. And um, it taught me a lot of lessons about myself. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you are someone who's, you're very good at, you know, doing this bit. You're out in the world, you're communicating. <laughs> Jack away, you know, jazz but, hands and all but, that. But yeah, but you're not a performer. You know, you no. decided to become a doctor. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, underneath all of this, I'm, I'm a doctor and that's my passion. I still do that and I would never give that up. 
but there is there is this side of me that wants a little bit of an outlet that's this artistic side which and I talk about in the book how you don't have to be a particular way you don't have to be just academic you don't have to be just creative or arty you can be both you can be all of those things so uh, I like to exercise different parts of me so I imagined uh, you were just you know a, a, a healer in the world of show business <laughs> but uh, do you have patience yes yeah I work in A&E oh right so I work on the front line I, I've done throughout the pandemic and before do as well do people think they're hallucinating like, uh, people <laughs> what painkillers have you given me you look like Dr. Brown. <laughs> I have had really weird conversations. One time somebody asked if there were cameras in the room. <laughs> well, you would think so, you know. Um, it's really sweet when people ask, oh, or recognise me, because it's because I work with children, especially in, 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 in the emergency department. It's really scary. So when they come in and they see a recognisable face or somebody they've seen before, it kind of brings the fear factor down several levels, which makes everyone's life a bit easier. But it's when the parents say, are you a real doctor? No, no, I, no my, my immediate thought if I saw you in A&E is like, is he a real... Can, can he actually do this? Yeah, we do have to have that awkward conversation sometimes. And I have a no-selfie policy at work. It's just not an NHS time, people. I love doing them. Don't get me wrong. Grab me on the street. But I can't do it at work. And also, you'll be wearing a mask. So, it's, yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> you have pointless. lovely eyes, but yeah, and, uh, it's and not you, the same. Yeah. <laughs> no, could be anybody with eyebrows stuck on their face. <laughs> so, we talked talk about this book, Brain Power. We were talking that your first book did incredibly yes. well, the one for Growing boys. Growing Up Guide for Boys. It's called How to Grow Up and Feel Amazing. So, do you, presumably, uh, you now have a plan for book three? I do. I'm writing book three right now, Graham. This is, this is why my brain is frazzled, because <laughs> I'm trying to... So, I wrote Brain Power a year ago, um, and it takes... That's the publishing process, because it needs to go away to be designed and then, you know, printed and all and that kind of stuff. And actually beautifully designed. Yes, and, um, and, and David it, O'Connell's done a great and job. And apparently there's a... It's especially to help people. Yes. If you are dyslex dyslexic, it's, it's you can help It's written in a dyslexia-friendly design to make it easier for dyslexic people to read as well, and that was a, a big thing I was passionate about. But um, I'm now writing the next book which is out next year whilst trying to remember what I did a year ago and talk about it now and I'm frantically flicking through the book thinking oh my gosh did I write that wow that's really good <laughs> I surprise myself all the time but I can't tell you what the next book is about but it is in the young people's well-being space again and again it's more skewed toward boys and it's very topical okay that's all I'm gonna say all right. Uh, is it about flatulence? Uh, <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Young boys, they'd, they'd love to read a book about that. <laughs> I mean, it's not just young boys, I think, have that issue, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Dr. Rand, congratulations on Brain Power, a toolkit to understand and train your unique brain. It is out now. Thank you so much for coming in to see Thank us. You. And, uh, you know, stay safe and, well, try and stay dry. I think an another storm has just arrived. As, as we sit here, it's descending on the tower. I'm going to go reinforce my back doors. Oh, good luck. <laughs> There's still a lot more to come. Sir David Suchet gives us an insight into his first musical, Mima the Musical. And multi-million selling author Marion Keyes zooms in to talk about her new book, Again, Rachel. But before we get to that, there's passion fruit everywhere. Let's find out what Martha's been up to this weekend. <laughs> Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. Well done for braving the storms to be here. <laughs> Anything to make you a dish, Greg. <laughs> hey! Uh, what you made me. Apparently there's passion fruit in it. 
There is, but you might not expect there to be. So this is a sweet and sour passion fruit dal. <gasps> Say what now? Mm, a savoury dish with passion fruit. Oh, wow. Is okay. that, I mean, is that just for, you know, for being contrary? Or is that <laughs> is that a thing that is tr- tr- traditionally happens? Does passion fruit normally sh- or show up in things like this? So I don't think this is particularly traditional. However, the combination of kind of sweet and salty, sweet and sour is something that you see in loads of different countries. So when I was making it, I thought, you know what, actually, this does go. <laughs> this is what you would want in something as kind of, dal can be quite heavy and thick and having something sweet and sharp like passion fruit just to cut through that. I think works nicely, but we'll have it will be in your hands. You'll have to what, decide. What, passion fruit normally shows up in things like kind of mousses and things, isn't it? Passion fruit mousse and and cheesecakes yes. and things like that. Tropical delights yeah. and things like passion fruit and chocolate. I love passion fruit in sweet recipes, but I'd never thought to use it in savoury. And actually, you tend to if you buy lots of passion fruits, then you think, oh, I've got way too many. It's quite nice to know other other things to do with them. So a dal, super simple to make, less than fifteen minutes of your sweet time <laughs> and passion fruits are in there and this is in the february's waitrose food magazine it is yeah it's a chetna makan recipe she does amazing indian themed re- recipes and all sorts of delicious things this is one of hers and i've got to ask this question if you don't know the answer there's no if that's fine we'll move on is there a reason why we're doing passion fruit now is it is it like are they is it being harvested in bulk somewhere at the moment do you know what? I don't know the answer no, to I, that. I know, and that's why I, I that's why I pre-warned you. I thought I would think so because I know that the Waitrose magazine features in-season ingredients. Obviously, they're not grown in this country, but I'm no. assuming they must be in season somewhere else. No, no one, no one is out in Storm Eunice picking, <laughs> picking, picking passion, passion fruits. fruits. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been shopping, but uh, that, I mean, even that was brave. Uh, all right, look, I love Adal, so looking forward to trying this, and then we'll find out exactly how to make it all right so uh, how do we go how do we start how do we go about this so we're going to start with our dal base and um, so this is so simple if you've never made dal before you should definitely start making it because it's brilliant for meal prepping for easy dinners you can you have it as a side have it as a main we start with the dal so we're taking red lentils putting them into a big saucepan with some turmeric some salt and some water Mm-hmm. And then we're going to simmer that for 15 minutes and you'll know it's ready because the lentils will just collapse and they'll thicken that water into a lovely kind of thick soup consistency. Mm-hmm. And then once that's done, it's thing, we're going to add in the flesh of two passion fruits. So Is you, that only two passion fruits? Yeah, just two. Wow. I know, okay. two passion fruits. Yeah. That goes in. You can add more if you if you love them passion fruit, I mean... <laughs> if you're passionate. <laughs> if you've got a passion, passion for passion fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Put a few more in, because that's the good thing about a recipe like this. You can taste it as you go along and think, oh, it needs a bit more salt, oh, it needs a little bit more sweetness. So the passion fruit pulp goes in along with some brown sugar, just a little touch of brown sugar, and then stir that through, give it a taste. And then we're going to make a taka for the top. So if you've ever been to an Indian restaurant, we always order a taka dal. But I found out recently that the taka is just the topping on top of... The lentils. So. Oh, so you're actually just ordering dal and then there's a yeah. taco. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so they put this amazing ghee. So we're taking ghee, which is Indian clarified butter. But you could use butter if you didn't have ghee um, or even coconut oil or something like that. Yeah. Put that into a separate frying pan. Add in some cumin seeds, let them sizzle and then throw in some coriander. It will foam up really beautifully. And then you just pour that over the top of your finished dal just before you serve it. And that's where a lot of the flavour comes I must say that bit was my favourite bit. The, the, <laughs> what, what do you call it? The thing on top? The taka. Taka. Mm. I know. I was mad about that. That was yeah. That's really good. And those crunchy little cumin seeds are delicious. Yeah, you've got to have it. You can't just have can't just have plain dal 
on its own. So you add that to the top and then you're ready to go. Freezes really well, really simple. Wow, that did sound, you made that sound very easy. <laughs> and then you just serve it with some rice. Yeah, some rice or you could do naan bread or something like that. Yeah, I hope that rice only took two minutes. <laughs> I promise you it did. Excellent. <laughs> you know how I feel about cooking rice. <laughs> I don't approve. Uh, if you'd like that recipe, it's in the Waitrose, uh, February's, February's Waitrose Food Magazine. But also, if you go to our Instagram account, at Virgin Radio UK, uh, you can stab away there and you will find it. You're back tomorrow. More passion fruit. I mean... Really, just loaded down with it. Uh, <laughs> sweet or savoury tomorrow? It's a sweet one tomorrow. Okay, traditional. Yeah, traditional. More tradi- traditional. Yeah, a traditional <laughs> passion fruit dish with Martha tomorrow morning. Uh, thank you very much You're for welcome. our lovely doll, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Mmm, lips smacking good. Uh, Martha Collison is here with her trolley. What is on it today? Ah, it's a bit of sunshine for this grey February day. So we've got a passion fruit and coconut cake. Oh. And mm. <laughs> um, am I going to get to say the word curd for the second time today? Yes. Well, you now. are indeed. <laughs> Probably multiple times. <laughs> so this is a triple layer. Triple layer cake. Yes. Now, it, is that just? I mean, do you, you? Well, you'll tell us later how how we make it. But uh, and uh, it, yes, how do, this looks quite ambitious. You, it looks like you're going to have to be quite good at baking to make this. If you've made a cake before, I would say you can probably make this. <laughs> if this is your first ever cake, then you know Don't. you could do it. You could, you could do it. It's not. It's not got any super complex techniques in it, and it's not a really really long bake it's a nice kind of crowd pleaser family friendly kind of cake makes great dessert as well because it's got loads of fresh cream in the layers oh i must say it does look gorgeous and i've saved coffee specially oh yeah <laughs> that'll go well <laughs> yeah to wolf this down uh, all right look what should we do i think because i imagine the recipe is quite long so why don't we just play a record while i eat some and then we'll get to how to make the passion fruit and coconut cake yes. is it fresh coconut or is it it is desiccated coconut, desiccated. a little bit toasted. Toasted, desiccated. Mm. All these. I mean, if you're playing Wordle, surely we're. we're in it. Uh, desiccated is a bit long for Wordle. A little, but, bit, yeah. little bit longer than five letters. Yeah, but you know, we're going to help. We're going to help. Uh, so tell us uh, how to make it. So we are going to do it the creaming method to make the sponge, which means we start with soft butter and caster sugar and then cream it together. So really whisk it until it's light and fluffy and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then we're adding coconut cream into the mixture as well. So you get that coconut flavour all the way through. Then into that, we're adding eggs, four eggs, quite a large, quite a large cake. (laughs) Four eggs, and then we've got our flour um, and some raising agent and then desiccated coconut. And one of the first cakes I ever made when I was a child, like when I was eight, I was a coconut cake and I read the ingredients and I just threw in a whole bag of desiccated coconut and quite gritty (laughs) so make sure you put the right amount in but this has just got just enough to give it a little bit of bite a little bit of body but not being like a mouthful of (laughs) of dry coconut yeah but you can taste you can taste the coconut It, it still comes through I'm so pleased so then that goes into the oven you want to get a deep 
tin because instead of doing it in three separate tins we're just doing it in one and then once it's cooled we'll slice it into three so you've got to have kind of your measuring eye out to make sure you get them even <laughs> wow so a cake that deep i mean that must take a long time to cook no it takes about half an hour Is 35 wow. minutes not too long um yeah just make sure you line the sides so it's really easy to get it out yeah um, but it's nice because it stays on the washing up you haven't got to do three separate tins instead just one <laughs> one big deep tin and uh, i mean you need a steady eye and a sharp knife to get through that don't you? you do you do. You need a serrated knife and then just be really careful as you go all the way around. But to be honest, people won't mind if it's a bit wonky. It, it will taste the same. Yeah, it'll look homemade, won't it? It'll look, exactly. It will look loved, made with love. Uh, and then uh, talk us through the, uh, the filling. Yeah, so what I love about this recipe and all of Chetna's recipes, to is another Chetna Macan recipe, is she that loves the passion fruit, doesn't she? She loves yeah. passion fruit. Yeah, she's <laughs> but passionate it's, about it. Yeah. It's all about flavour. It's not got tons of sugar and loads of kind of ornate decoration. It's coconut cream, double cream, a little bit of sugar, um, and that makes this beautifully light filling instead of really thick buttercream, which makes cakes a little bit dry, as you say. So you spread that between the layers and then take the passion fruit curd now you don't have to make this from scratch you'll be pleased to know excellent you can find this in waitrose <laughs> number one passion fruit curd genuinely life-changing if you if you're into lemon curd next time you're in waitress pick up the passion fruit one and on porridge in cakes it's just it's good no, honestly, delicious. <laughs> it really gives it a kind of a zing and it mm. lifts it lifts the whole thing. And then on top, what have you done extra? So on top, we've just scooped over some fresh passion fruit because you've got to have a little bit of those lovely seeds on the top and then some toasted coconut. And all that is is desiccated coconut into a frying pan and just a couple of minutes over the heat until it turns golden. You can That's, do it. That sounds like the most dangerous part of this whole recipe. That's when it's going to go wrong. When suddenly you just got like something that's like dead ants on top of your yeah. cake. Yeah. yeah, maybe not quite as appetising. <laughs> yeah. But at least it's the last thing you're making. So if it goes wrong, you can do it again and again and it won't affect the whole the whole bake. And then just sprinkle that on the top and you're good. And Bob is your uncle. <laughs> uh, it's a passion fruit and coconut cake. It is delicious. May I recommend it? If you want the full recipe, just go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and stab away there till you are led to the receipt. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. It is time to meet my first guest of the day. Uh, just published her 15th novel, Rachel's Holiday. It's everyone's favourite, Marion Keys. Yay, yay, yay. Hello. Hello, Graham. <laughs> I'm trying to do zoo radio by myself. <laughs> you did a fabulous job. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much on this blustery morning. It is a little blustery. Ever so many. Listen, this is your 15th novel. And I th yes. I think you said to me that your last novel, uh, Grown Ups, was the first novel of yours that was ever reviewed in a kind of serious broadsheet newspaper. Is that true? Well, it wasn't the first one that was um, reviewed in a serious broadsheet newspaper, but there was a definite shift in how it was reviewed. And a lot of people were saying, it's time to take this author seriously. And, you know, I was thinking, yeah, well, you've had 13 <laughs> other books to do with, which, you know, anytime you like, lads, is grand with me. Because this book, uh, Rachel's, um, uh, da, 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 uh, Rachel again, is uh, it has been reviewed and so well. You must be thrilled with the reviews. I, you know, I am genuinely, sincerely delighted. Um, I cannot tell you how much it means to me because not only have they viewed, reviewed again, Rachel, seriously, but they've reviewed or they've mentioned the first book, Rachel's Holiday, in very different terms to the way it was mentioned when it came out in 1998. And what's you know, that? They've been a lot nicer. What's that about 
Marion, is it just was it the way that the book was packaged that made people snobby about it, or what? You know, what has changed in those years? I mean, I think it's probably a lot of things. I mean, definitely how it was packaged. You know, like it was very, it was pink. You know, and like the minute people saw pink books, um, I mean, all men ran away, and <laughs> an awful lot of women who were afraid of being you know, kind of judged as silly or, you know, not clever enough. They all ran away as well. And um, and but mostly I think it's just that I've been allowed to do this for long enough. And I've I've been here kind of going, hello, my books are not absolute rubbish. Trust me on this. And people have kind of, I've worn people down. That's what it is. I have just ground away at their resistance. And um, and they've eventually gone, oh, go on, then I'll read one of them. You know, <laughs> no, but I, honestly, I do think it's just that. It's, yeah, I've been here so long. Okay, so 25 years since Rachel's holiday. Why did you choose to spend time with Rachel again after, at, after, at this point in, in your life and her life? Okay, it, it, I always make my decisions to write books kind of on instinct rather than, you know, think in my head. I don't kind of scan the market and think, well, 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 this sort of book is selling or that sort. So two main reasons, I think. Rachel is an addict in long term recovery and I'm an alcoholic in long term recovery. And even though Rachel isn't me, we have that link in that, like, you know, life is very good for me, um, but I am slightly different to the, the civilians, I call them, you know, like I live my life in a slightly different way, you know, just a slightly more careful way to keep myself safe and sober. And um, and, you know, once I do that, I can do anything. Um, you know, I can pass myself off as a civilian. Um, so there's that connection. Also, Rachel has a boyfriend at the end of Rachel's holiday, Luke Costello, and she really fancies him and I really fancy him. So it was very, very it was such a complete pleasure to visit Lou Costello again and say, come here now till I write more things about you. And uh, and you do write a lot more things about him. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I, I use the word advisor, but it's kind of graphic, Marion. Uh, well, I mean, mm, yeah, all right then. I write <laughs> things. Okay, let's let, let just put it out there. You know, I, you know, I am not so great on the L soft focus, what is euphemisms? No. Like, uh, this is, you know, she's a grown-up woman. He's a grown-up man. And, you know, there's a lot of, it's, you know, I don't want to let my readers down. You know, they, they go through a lot with Rachel and Luke in this book. And do you know what I mean? You've got to be nice to people. Um, so I was. Yes. No, I mean, but we, and also, you know, they are grown-ups and they do grown-up things. It's all, yeah, it's all, it's just, yeah, it, it's it's just, I think people might be surprised because they imagine it will be a bit soft focus, but it's, no, no, it's the real no. deal. It's the real deal. Um, one of the things, and I've talked to you about this book, but uh, that I love about this book is that it's not just about a Rachel and her kind of family and things. You go into her therapy, into her group sessions, and we find all these extraordinary stories and you tell them so beautifully they're like they're, they're like little vignettes um how did you choose them and you know were they where did you pluck them from and how did you know oh i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of use this up in again rachel rather than save that story and squirrel it away for a novel I mean, that's such a lovely thing to say, Graham. Yeah. Rachel works as a therapist in a, in a, a rehab centre. And I mean, I've been to rehab and I 
you know, when I was in there, like it was, it was, you know, it's a horrible thing to kind of end up there. But the people I was with, we were so kind to each other. I mean, we were all terrified and, and sad, but there was a huge amount of compassion. And that was 28 years ago. And I've stayed very close to, to other people in recovery since then. And the people in Rachel's Holiday, and again, Rachel, they're not based on real people. But I think I've been around so many addicts and I find them so courageous. And, you know, I think it's such a very, very brave thing to do. It was important that they were fully fleshed out and and that there would be something for almost everybody to um, to relate to in them. Like it was important. It was as important for them to be believable and and, you know, kind of complete as it was, you know, for Rachel to be believable and complete. So, yeah, I put a work, a lot of work into it because they matter to me. Yeah. And you, I mean, you can tell. And that's what, you know, I guess that that's why it works. Uh, Marion, you'll be thrilled to know we've had loads of texts while you've been on the air from your readers. But weirdly, they don't have questions. They're all just saying how much they loved Rachel's holiday. Uh, Seriously, say first, the first book to make me properly laugh out loud. Uh, I really enjoyed Rachel's holiday, all the different characters. Um, I can laugh now thinking about the shared leather trousers. I mean, there's just a lot of love in the world for that book. When did you know that that book was a huge success? How, how did it happen? Did it happen slowly or did it just like jump out of the gates? Oh, no, it was slow, Graham. It was slow. I mean, it was my third book and it came out and um, it didn't kind of, I mean, it sold quite well, but it didn't really get any review coverage. But over the years, people contacted me and said that, a lot of people said it made them laugh a lot, but more people said that it um, it kind of helped them understand, you know, their relationship with, you know, an alcoholic parent or, you know, or a spouse who was an addict, that it explained addiction and kind of helped them forgive the people involved. Um, you know, the people got a lot of peace and, and other people said that it actually got them into recovery themselves and you know for a book that's a comedy and I mean all I am really is an entertainer I'm a storyteller rather than you know someone who's trying to make serious points but to know that you know kind of serious good things happened as a side effect of the book was was such a lovely thing to hear and you know thank you so much to everybody who has contacted you this morning and here's the thing you know now a Marion Keys book is an event and you are Marion Keys and you get invited on on you know shows like this and you know everyone yeah. everyone everyone wants to talk to you but back when you began how did you get the books out there how did you how did you reach readers because you know, that was the time before twitter before any of those things how did you how did you do it Marion <laughs> How did I do it, Graham? I mean, okay, like I did an awful lot of, I mean, I travelled a lot. You know, that's what you did back in the olden days. Yeah. You know, like you, you got on trains and you went to Leeds and Leicester and Nottingham and Sheffield. And like it was absolutely lovely. Aberdeen. You know, I saw the world. Um, and with each place that I went to, um, they usually let me on the local radio because, you know, maybe they didn't get that many visitors. And, <laughs> you know, like it was it was kind of like that, that people were good to me. But, yeah, you're absolutely right in that. I suppose people can probably um, publicize books now without getting out of bed. Um, but I still like going to the places. Um, and I still that the thing I love most about my job is, is, is meeting readers. And, you know, it's been it's been sad and hard 
with the last two years and like even now with the again Rachel I'm not really getting to meet anyone like everything has kind of been done online but um but you know hopefully in the next couple of years I'll be I'll be back to Sheffield and Aberdeen <laughs> back in the world and, yeah. uh, and Marion you know the ultimate accolade you've been yentobbed uh you got your mm. own imagine on on the BBC when was it two Mondays ago just a, yeah. Yeah, two months ago. What was, I mean, that must be, you know, you were being interviewed. So while it was happening, it's it's one thing. But to sit and watch it must be such a strange experience. Yeah. I mean, like, I think I'm probably the first popular fiction author that they've ever done. It, like, it was a phenomenal honour. And like, I genuinely, when I got the first email saying that they wanted to do it, I sincerely thought it was a hoax because, <laughs> you know, because that thing does happen. Like, it's awful, but it does. And the lovely thing, I think, for me was that, like, my entire family were on board, you know, like Mammy Keys, you know, features large in it. And, you know, my sister, Katrina and and like poor my poor husband, who is the shyest man alive, you know, like he he only speaks about once a week and he had to be interviewed for this. And it was such a wonderful and yeah, I'll stop now. But like you, you were one of the authors who spoke up in in kind of praise of me. And to be kind of respected or to kind of be acknowledged by, by people I respect and by my peers, it was just, it was the, the greatest honour of my career. And I, I really mean that. What is it? You are so supportive of other writers. So it's only right that other writers should support you. Um, and as I say, when I started writing, you were very nice to me. So now that you're you're broadcasting and you're an agony aunt, I should be supportive of that. <laughs> so... Uh, oh, but, but- can I just say, I'm only nice about books I love. You know, if I don't love it, I will quietly say nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, no, genuinely, I, I don't believe in being mean, but I don't believe in being nice if I don't mean it. But you and Tara Flynn, you've got your own uh, Agony Aunt show. Is it on Radio 4, isn't it? It is. It's on Radio 4 and uh, BBC Sounds. Like It's it's a podcast. Um, Ooh. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So if, if, if you like it, you can subscribe to the podcast. I'm just saying words, Graham, that they told me to say. <laughs> I have no idea what they mean. Um, but yeah, we have such fun doing it. People send us their problems and sometimes they're serious uh, and sometimes they're not. And we try to be helpful, but we do have a lot of fun doing it. And it has gone down really well. In fact, I have a little bit of an exclusive, if you would like. Oh, yes. We have. We have been commissioned for a second series. After only four episodes went out, they said, "I'll go on, then you can have another." Yeah. Um, we are we are so delighted. And again, thank you for the people who I'm saying words again liked and subscribed. Well done. You're so on message. You're a, 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 I am. a marketing I'm like a dream. <laughs> a marketing dream, Mary Keys. Uh, listen, Mary, congratulations on uh, Now You're Asking, but huge congratulations on Again, Rachel, out now in hardback. Uh, and all those fantastic reviews, very much deserved. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, Marion. Take care of yourself. I will. You're an angel. Thank uh, you, Graham. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my second guest of the day. He is Sir David Suchet. Uh, freshly knighted, fairly freshly. Yes, well, it was announced uh, two years ago, but I was only recently, uh, oh, about two weeks ago, uh, actually dubbed. Oh, well, congratulations. Thank you very much. I mean, it, yes, I mean, what a thrill. Yeah, I am. I, I mean, I'm so thrilled. And it, it, all the clichés are there. I'm honoured and humbled. And it's it's great to be... And do you know what I'm thrilled about? It's a night 
bachelor, which goes right back to the Middle Ages and and to the medieval knights on the battlefield and all that sort of thing. It's not it's not an order of the British Empire like uh, Edwardian or Victorian. This goes right the way back, and that's, I think that's wonderful. It, it appeals to my romantic nature. <laughs> and you worked your way through the ranks because you were what you you were an MB first or an OB first? Which I you... was an I, I was an OB, then I got the CB, and now I got the KB. So, <laughs> oh, lovely! <laughs> I'm very lucky, buddy. <laughs> well, congratulations, Thank Sir you David very, very much. And uh, what you're doing now is uh, is is a departure for you? Have you ever been in a musical before? No, this is an absolute first. I'm not going to say my actual age on uh, over the air, but uh, at a certain age, to have a first is a great treat. <laughs> yeah, I would say. But isn't it great though? Because you're going as you get older, you kind of think, oh, you know, everything's happened. But no, no, there are still new things. Yes, I'm still new things, and I'm going to be in this gala night at the Cadogan Hall, February the 28th, of a musical Mima. It was actually done a few years ago in Perth. Had a run. It it, it never moved because then COVID came up and all the rest of it. Um, and we're going to put this on like um, it's not going to be a full theatre performance. We're going to have scripts, but a lot of it, we've got the most fantastic singers. We've got John Owen Jones. We've got Celinda Schoenmaker, Louise Dearman. Oh, yes. So we've, I mean, absolutely, we've got, fant- you know, the great leading singers from The Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, Wicked. Uh, it, we've got top line singers um, who are going to really tell us the story about the Italian Civil War and fascism. So, you know, Les Mis was the French Revolution. And now we've got this fantastic musical, a great eclectic music itself, talking about the Spanish Civil War. And tell me this, so uh, Mima is the central character and she leaves Italy, she comes to... Yeah, she it's a fictional character. She leaves Italy, Turin, to come to Lorenzo's nightclub in London, in Charing Cross Road. That's a, a family relation. And uh, at that time, it's announced that war it, with Mussolini um, has joined the Nazis and suddenly all the Italians in London get arrested and put in internment camps. I think this is a bit of history that we know very little about. We know about, uh, going way back, we know about the Nazis, we know about uh, uh, what happened with the Russian Revolution, we know about the French Revolution. Who knows about the Italian Revolution? It's been a great privilege for me to actually read up and learn about it and to actually play um, the, uh, the only character that actually existed, Alfredo Frassati, who was who owned this great newspaper, La Stampa, and was forced to sell it off way back before the war in the in the mid twenties because it was anti-fascist. And you are you narrate the story, is that right? I do, yes. I'm, I narrate. I only come into the story as a character at the very beginning and the very end. But throughout the evening, because it is a gala type performance, I'm narrating little bits that that you don't see or explaining bits that you do see. So if it was fully staged, you know, if it was if it if it gets picked up and it's in the West End, does your character disappear? I think I think he probably might. <laughs> I think he probably might. But um, it, it's it's just wonderful. You know what? You get to a stage, you go into a rehearsal room and suddenly instead of my normal peers, I'm listening to the most incredible singers 
Yeah. Uh, it, it takes my breath away. And the ensemble, they're dancing and they've learned dances in three or four days <laughs> that I would take months to learn. It, it really is. It, it's wonderful. They are like different creatures, musical yeah. theatre people, aren't they? Yeah. It's just that what they can do and make it look so easy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think one dance was learned in about three hours. Wow. And they're so disciplined and so committed it's wonderful. Now, it says in a little brief here that, uh, she, that um, the club she goes to, Lorenzo's Nightclub, is a, is a jazz club. But then I think maybe it was a different... It can't be a different meme in the musical, but I saw a bit on Facebook and it sounded quite operatic. Yes. Well, the great thing about this show, and I must say that the, the numbers are so catchy, we've got, uh, like, uh, operetta, we have jazz, we have... Uh, well, it's not modern, modern music, but uh, it, they're all mix and match. It's not just one style. And I think that's one of the great, great pluses for, the, for this particular musical. And on, on, when we do it on February the 28th, we've got the whole BBC orchestra. And you're raising money for charity. Yes, for the Prince's Trust, which is fantastic. So that is Meme of the Musical at Duggan Hall, 28th of February. Uh, and as you say, I mean, the amazing cast, B the full BBC orchestra, that will... Um, I mean, you're not going to hear... E even if it gets transferred to the West End, you're never going to hear it like this again. No, and I've got to be very careful, because not being in it but narrating, I might lose my place because I'm, so, <laughs> because, because I'm enjoying it so much. This is very good. <laughs> So what's the idea? So it, it played in Perth as a... It as did a, a role. As a full show. And it was very, very successful. And I think, you know, if this gets picked up, um, and there's no reason why it shouldn't, and, it, uh, and I'm in the rehearsal, so I'm not saying this just because I'm in it. It really deserves to be picked up. It, this could have a run like Les Mis, because it's that sort of passion and, uh, uh, and in, in an area of revolution and resistance in a period of history. It's great, really great. And how are you feeling about work? Because what happened to you in lockdown? Were you, were you doing any filming or...? No, I, I, I like most of my profession, um, was appearing on shows remotely, uh, but not doing much work. I did the odd voice, you know, by remote. But yeah. yeah, no, it was a tough two years for everybody in my business. And recently I've had the privilege of travelling around doing my one-man show, David Suchet, Poirot and more, and a retrospective about my career, which we took to 24 different regions in the UK to try and encourage people back to the theatre. And we've been doing... That was nearly four months that I did from September to just recently now. And was that, was that your decision to sort of say bye-bye Poirot or had it kind of run its course or how did it well, happen? Well, a very interesting question, Graham. I was actually offered to continue doing Poirot but not stories by Agatha Christie and I had to think about that for a long time and you know what? I was Agatha Christie's Poirot and I thought to myself, 25 years... Let's quit while you're ahead. Yeah. And also that thing is, you could have said yes, and some of them could have been great, but you might have got a, you know, you could, yeah. there's no guarantee they'd be... There's no guarantee. And if uh, if it started to go sour on me, <laughs> that would have been dreadful. And uh, it was a hard decision, difficult one, but I know it was the right one. And it is weird, because I imagine you living in Poirot's beautiful Art Deco apartment. Yes, they do. I was once, I, I haven't said this before, but I was once asked to advertise the, a, a studio in that block of flats dressed as Poirot. <laughs> I was, and I did. <laughs> 
He's not proud. No, no, no. He'll do anything for it's, money. It's good, honest work. <laughs> and do you do you miss it now? Because you know, because that character's not going anywhere. Someone else. I mean, I know Kenneth Branagh's doing the films, but someone else is going to do the TV. What is that going to be like when you see it? Well, it's it's well, yeah. And I haven't seen any of Ken's actually, by the way. But uh, it's very different. Let's put it that way. Yes. <laughs> I, well, and it should be. You know, this character is going to go on and on. He's a one of the most famous literary characters. So, um, it, you know, we go right back to the 20s, well, not the 30s and 40s, Charles Lawton and people played him. And he's Poirot will continue because he's just one of those characters. Like James Bond, he will, he will yeah. go on and on and on. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing new Poirots on television. I, I am. Um, I'm looking forward to that character carrying on. You know, I was for now and... They, there will be others in the future, and and that's right. That's 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 good. I suppose it is odd, you know. That the I think the BBC just said they're making another Great Expectations. Yes. And you think really? Yes, I know. <laughs> didn't, as you get older, you kind of think, didn't they just make that? <laughs> yeah, but you see, in the classical theatre, how many times? I was thirteen years with the Royal Shakespeare Theatre. How many times have those been pl- yeah. plays been on? And there's always a new take, new director, and uh, it, it, it's good. We need to see these. And I read that that you were in the National Theatre, or the Royal Shakespeare Theatre, for thirteen years. Was that typical back then? The People would stay for that long. I was one of the last of the boys, if you like, that started as a spear carrier and ended up playing roles like Iago, Shylock, uh, Bolingbroke, and all the rest of it. And it was a 13 years. It doesn't happen anymore. And I imagine at the time it flew by. You weren't conscious of the fact that, oh, I've been no. here for an ever. <laughs> no. I, in fact, when, when I first courted my wife, Sheila, well, the first date we said, what's your ambition? It was to be a member of the national, one of the national theatre companies. And there I was, 13 years. Then all of a sudden television came up, film came up and moved on. But I loved it. I had the most wonderful time. And now musicals. And finally, now a musical. Finally, he's arrived <laughs> in the world of musicals. So David Suchet stars in Mima the Musical on the 28th February at Cadogan Hall. You can get tickets at Mima the Musical, all one word. There's a double M in the middle of Mima. Mima the Musical, uh, all one word, dot com. Uh, so, David Suchet, thank you so much for coming in to what see us. What a pleasure, us. thank you. I'll let you get back to your cake. <laughs> <laughs> Which was delicious. Isn't it, though? Whoa, We're yes. very lucky with Martha. Yeah. You are. It was delicious. Well, there you go. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can hear a new episode of the best of bits from the show from early Monday morning. I'll speak to you very soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.